Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. You know, from the beginning of our struggles over the last two years, basically now, you know, I, I've seen this as this... I kind of see what's going on at times and what, what's happening, what effect um, society is having on us, the, the, what, what uh, government is enforcing and what, what it's doing to us as people. And it's, what I've seen is this idea of divide and conquer. And what do we see? We see it playing throughout society. We see families that have been split over, no matter what it is, more than they were before. We see friends that no longer want to be friends with other people because they believe differently. We see whole communities that are afraid to be with other people in the community. Neighbors who, who haven't seen their neighbors in months and years. We see churches that, uh, churches were heavily hit by it. And now there are, there are churches that have lost 20, 30, 40% of their attendance. And those people, it's not that they are just, you know, they just don't come back. And the whole society has been divided on a myriad of topics. Pick your topic. We seem to divide on it instead of coming together and being able to agree to disagree on things that aren't that major of a problem. And this strategy is used a lot of times because what they want, what, 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 the people who are trying to do this, what they do is they try to take something that's larger and they try to break it up into smaller pieces because it becomes manageable. It becomes a matter of controlling the smaller rather than the larger. And then they begin to control these pieces one by one by one. And what usually happens is the one, the power that's doing the breaking up and the dividing is a strong power. And it's trying to keep the weaker individual powers from combining to overthrow the stronger power. And I think this is one of the reasons why the writer of Hebrews, who I believe is at least possibly Paul, he encourages us in, in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, he says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the thing is, is when we get together, we are stronger when we are together, when we are one. Because what happens is, because I, I've seen this in churches, I've seen it for a long time, is that churches are becoming lukewarm. People, which means individuals, are becoming lukewarm. And if you know anything about what it says in Revelation, what is God going to do with those that are lukewarm? He's going to spit them out of his mouth. So we gather together to, in, to kind of encourage one another. We get, that's why it really hurts. I think it hurts God's heart when we see churches that are backbiting, that are gossiping, that are arguing about things that really are not that big a deal. Arguing over the color of the carpet. You know, I haven't heard of any churches doing that recently, but that has happened in the past. See, this tactic of... Of divide and conquer, as I've told you before, has been the the main, I guess his probably his favorite tactic of Satan since the beginning. He schemes to divide us from one another. 
You see it in the temptations. He tries to draw a husband and wife apart. Why? Because he can destroy something that God says is beautiful and was amazing. He tries to drive us apart from our friends. He tries to drive a wedge in between us and the church. He tries to drive a wedge between us and the government that God put in place. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't tell the government, hey, you're overstepping your bounds. But the question is, are we praying for our leaders as we're doing it? He wants us to divide. He wants to conquer us. He schemes to divide each of us from each other and all of us from God. He knows his time is short. He knows that he, he is doomed, but he wants to take as many of us with him as he can. And unfortunately, I think what he also tries to do is he tries to divide our hearts. Our hearts get divided when we are tempted to follow sins that we shouldn't be following. When we, tempted, we are tempted to see things and watch things. You know, we, we, we have a divided heart. We're not truly, fully worshiping, truly, fully devoted to Christ. We're lukewarm. We saw last week that Isaiah experiences this holiness of God in the throne room. And in God's grace, Isaiah's his, his divided heart gets mended. It gets put back in place. And it's united again. So today we're going to look, at, you know, we, we saw Isaiah whose heart is mended. We're going to look at somebody whose heart is divided. And that would be King Ahaz. You know, the biggest difference between Isaiah and Ahaz is that, um, you know, Isaiah's faith was not, you know, his heart was not mended because he had this heroic, heroic, heroic faith and he overcame all of these obstacles, all this sin. You know, he admitted, I'm a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips, but that's not what saved him. That's not what mended his heart. What mended his heart God forgiving him of his sin, touching the coal to his lips and forgiving him. And in the process of him understanding that it wasn't him who saved himself, he, he, he sees the glory of God, and, he, and, and, and when God says, who am I going to send, he yells, here I am, send me. It changed him. Today, you know, we see Christianity as like this legislated, you know, this, 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 this good example that we see in Jesus. Oh, we need to follow Jesus. And yes, we do need to follow Christ. We need to walk in his steps. We need to do what he did. But the problem is, is we're also frightened by the fact of, of eternal judgment. We're, you know, we've been taught. I mean, I want to be honest with you. When I was saved, I was saved because I was scared to death I was going to go to hell. The problem with that is, is that the next week, when the pastor preaches on hell and damnation, I'm afraid again because I'm not sure, right? See, the problem is, is if, we, if we save people by the fact that, that we're scaring them into heaven, is what we're attempting to do, it's not going to hold. Our stimulus to believe becomes fear and pride. But I'll be honest with you, a true Christian faith is based upon what Isaiah saw, which he saw the glory of Christ. He saw the glory of God, and that's what he based it on. He saw God's glory, saw himself, realized he was, he was a sinner, and God saved him. It was the glory of God and the pleasure of surrendering to God's will. That's why I, I, I kind of shudder at times when I'm watching an online preacher 
online pastor give a message, and at the end of it, they say, okay, you know, they, they give it a, an open message. If, if I want everybody to close their eyes, and if you want to accept Christ, you know, into your life, raise your hand. Oh, yeah, awesome. You know, and, and you think, well, that's a good thing, right? Where's repentance? They've never so once talked about repentance. They never once talked about your life changing. It's more than just saying a prayer. It's about Jesus changing your life as he did to Isaiah. It changed him. I'm afraid that too many in church today are are living with divided hearts. I struggle with it myself. All humans do. Or my heart gets divided between the world and God and what do I, how do I, I need to, I need my heart united. We hover between good and evil. And what happens is we, 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 we re, it truly shows that we are divided in our heart and we're empty. That's why a lot of people will say, you know, yeah, I accepted Christ two weeks ago and man, it's just, I'm just not feeling it anymore becomes that moment of elation and then it's gone because they're not living in the glory of Christ. They're not realizing that it's it's Christ that did it. He deserves our worship. He deserves for us to be dedicated to him. True faith is not based on our ability to make the right choice between good and bad. That's not what it's based on. Because in that case, there's, they're both compelling choices. No, I'm sorry. There is no choice. Sin is wrong. Christ is awesome. There's no choice. It's Christ alone. So we're going to see King Ahaz today. And he never truly understood what it meant to see the glory of God. And it becomes, in his unbelieving, it becomes his downfall and his undoing. See, but if we're not motivated by the fear of judgment, then, then you know, which in reality is not a good motivator at all, what are we motivated by? What should we be motivated by? We saw this in Isaiah's encounter with the throne room of God. It's the holiness and the glory of God's grace. It's what God has done for us that should motivate us to walk in faith. Now, in what we're going to read today, it's, it's, it's been about 200 years since the nations have split. The nations split. The, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom split off to their own after the death of um, Solomon. And southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin were their own kingdom. And what has happened is that the Syrians have made an alliance with Israel, the northern kingdom. Because they're are the Syrians, not the Assyrians, the Syrian, the nation of Syria which is just north of Israel, had made an alliance with the northern kingdom because the Assyrians, which were based out of, um, based out of northern Iraq of, of today, Nineveh, are becoming the bullies in the neighborhood. And they think, well, if, we, if the Syrians and the Israelites, the northern kingdom, work together, maybe we can defeat them. We can keep them at bay. And as they're sitting there making their united front, and you can read about that in 2 Chronicles 28, you have... You know, you have a, a king in the southern kingdom called Ahaz in Judah. And he's, they want him to join. They want him because, I mean, come on, united, we're stronger, right? They, they want him to join the alliance, but Ahaz is hesitant. Israel is not exactly the nation of God it once was. 
Judah isn't either. But So what happens is, when Ahaz d- denies and doesn't want to do it, the northern kingdom and Syria decide to threaten him. And they say, we're going to come in, we're going to wipe you out, we're going to kill you, and we're going to put somebody in your place that's going to do what we want to do. From the very beginning, God sees that that plan is doomed to fail. Kind of sounds like our world today. Everybody joining an alliance against another country, and we're still the same people. Nothing changes. There's nothing new under the sun. We're just foolish enough not to learn the lessons from history. So God's covenant with David is still in effect, though. And God had promised that there would be a king in David's line on the throne in Jerusalem, even though the people had failed. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 7, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, Ephraim is the northern kingdom, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. This coalition from the north, the problem was that they could not, they could not make a good attack against Jerusalem, against Judah. Isaiah wants us to know that this threat would soon vanish, that there was really no need to panic. But Ahaz is panicking, and the people are panicking. God's still with his people. He hasn't left them. But Ahaz is weak. Ahaz is worried. The reality is that he doesn't even want to believe it. He would much rather wring his hands in dismay. Don't you know some people like that? Instead of dealing with the issues and facing it and, and getting things accomplished and overcoming things, they, 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 they crawl into a ball and they cry and they, I, I, I can't do this, I can't do it. Yeah, you can. With God's help, you can. Nothing is impossible for God if you trust him and you allow him to work in your life. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but you can do it. Just not on your own. And he decides, Ahaz decides that it's, it's his way is the best way. So this coalition, is this, they call it the, the Syro-Ephraimite coalition in history, was beginning to wear Judah down with multiple attacks and assaults. And God's going to use this crisis to call Ahaz back to him. So the Lord said to Isaiah in, in verse 3, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Um, names matter, by the way, and we'll talk about the name of his son here in a moment, but names do matter. So what happens is Ahaz, he's out inspecting his defenses. He's Again, he's relying on himself. He's not trusting God. He's not praying to God. He's not repenting to God. He's not bowing in reverence to God and, and seeking God to, to step in and to, to intervene. He's, he's checking, his, checking his ramparts. He's checking his ability on his own to overcome this coalition. He's looking at the water supply of Jerusalem in preparation for an invasion from Israel and Syria. He's trusting in his own ability, and he's stockpiling to defend the city. 
instead of trusting in the sufficiency and the grace of God. So what he does, God does, God sends Isaiah because he wants to assure Ahaz, listen, God's got this in hand. He's going to take care of it. God's will cannot be stopped. Look at the stuff going on today. Look at all the, the games that all these countries are playing. I'm, you know, God put them in place. God puts all governments in place. Now, whether they follow God or not, he lets them make that choice. But they're all playing these games, but you know, ultimately God's will is going to happen, no matter what they do. Nothing will stop it. We just, that's why we, should be, we shouldn't be fearful. We should just stand back and watch and say, watch what happens. God's going to do something. You watch. No fear. We don't need to wring our hands. We need to trust God. And this is why Isaiah takes his son, because his son, Shir Jashub, means a remnant shall return. That's a strange name, strange meaning. For I mean, it, it, they know the meaning of these words. Wouldn't it be odd God tells you to name your son remnant? Well, what remnant? From where? And, 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 you know, none of this has happened yet. They haven't been taken into captivity yet, the northern or the southern kingdom. But see, God always has a plan, and it's going to come out the way he wants it to come out. In verse 4, we see what, what Isaiah is told to tell Ahaz. He says, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. I love that. They were probably talking a lot of trash, the king of Assyria, or the king of Syria and the king of Israel. They're just firebrands. They're nothing. They're stumps. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be scattered, shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaleah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. God reveals to them he reveals to them a prophecy. And God wants them to be confident. He wants Ahaz to be confident, not in himself, not in his water supply, not in his ramparts, not in his siege, not in his army. He wants him to be confident in God. This alliance, these two countries are going to fail. They're spent forces already. They're already done for. They're smoldering stumps. God's not going to allow it to happen, not going to allow him to succeed. And he, he gives him a date. 65 years. Within 65 years, they're no longer, Israel is no longer going to be a nation. The northern kingdom, Ephraim, will be gone, be shattered as a people. God always keeps his word. God doesn't tell us something in scripture and then not make it come to fruition. 
Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave us or forsake us. Oh, we live him. We turn our backs on him. We wander away from him, but he never leaves us. He never, we are never out of his sight. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's going to come again. Hopefully soon. But if not, that's part of God's plan. Our responsibility is to have faith in God that he's working out his plan. Within three years from when Isaiah gives Ahaz this prophecy, Syria as a nation will be crushed and the northern of kingdom, kingdom of Israel will fall ten years later. You know, there's a prophecy about Damascus that has yet to be fulfilled. Damascus is going to be leveled, totally destroyed, and no one will ever live in it again. That's yet to be fulfilled. It's one of the oldest occupied cities in the world. And God says, I'm going to destroy it. We need to watch for it. That's going to happen. God said it would. It's going to happen. And around 670 B.C., the northern kingdom is no more. The northern Israelites are gone. They have been conquered by the Assyrians and scattered amongst the nation. So God gives Ahaz an opportunity to experience what it's like to be saved by God. Because this is all going to happen by no effort at all of Ahaz and the people of Judah. They'll have nothing to do with it. This is God's doing. But Ahaz must trust God. And and God tells him what's at stake. We must be firm in our faith or we will not be firm at all. How important is your faith? Your faith is of utmost importance. Your faith in you? No. Your faith in God, in Jesus Christ, and and what he did on the cross. That is where our faith is. That's what's most important. And that is what should drive our lives. That's what should mend our hearts. That's why we shouldn't be lukewarm about it. And we need to be, we need to be hot about it. Faith in God is central in the unavoidable question of our lives. Do we have faith? But what is it? What is faith? Well, I think that faith has three different components. You first have knowing God. You need to know God. I mean, you can't have faith in something you don't know, right? So you need to know God. Well, how do I know God? Well, you have his word here. Everything about God. You have creation. It talks all about God. It's all here. We see him. But you have his word. So you need to know him. You need to agree with him. God says we're sinners. Do you, do you, do you agree that we're sinners? I don't know about you, but I've looked at my life. Yep, he's right. And I've looked at other people's lives. Yep, they're just like me. No better, no worse. They're just like me. Sinners, all. And they all need Jesus. Yes, as I need him every day. So we need to know God. We need to agree with God. And then we need to embrace God. He's not just this this being that's out there just watching us. No, we need to embrace him. We need to embrace his word. We need to embrace the work he's doing. We need to be with him. We need to worship him. That is having faith. Faith is this this God-awakened capability and this capacity to respond fully to Christ. 
Without Christ giving me the ability, I would not respond to him. But he gives us that ability to do that. And so the opposite of faith is the breakdown and the shattering of our intellect, our feelings, and our will. So you have knowing God, agreeing with God, embracing God, and the opposite of it is the breakdown of our intellect, our feelings, and our will. See, there's something within us. There's this thing within us, and Paul calls it, calls it our sin nature. And what it does, it tries to move us away from God. Satan uses it. He uses temptation to pull us. The world, you know, there are three places sin comes from. Temptation from, from Satan. That's not all temptation doesn't only come from him. We're also tempted by the world. And we're also tempted by this, the very inner sin within us that wants to do wrong. But God says that if we see him as irrelevant, ultimately he will become irrelevant. We must seek him. We must trust him. We must have firm faith in him or we'll have no faith and we won't be firm at all. Now you can imagine that Ahaz is wondering, hmm, I wonder wonder how if I can trust this, you know. Should I trust Isaiah, what he's saying? Is, is Isaiah really saying this? Or, or, or is it God saying it? Or is it just Isaiah? Or is this a trick? Is he working for the enemy? God knows his heart. So again, the Lord said to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, which is the place of the dead, the place, the holding place of the dead. It's not hell. It's a holding place of the dead in Jewish thought. Or high as heaven. But Ahaz says, Oh, I will not speak, and I will not put the Lord to the test. God has now given Ahaz a blank check. You tell me, I will give you a sign. You tell me what sign you want to prove that, that, that this is going to happen, and I'll give it to you. And Ahaz says, Oh, no, not me. I would never. I would never, ever do anything like that. I would never test God. False humility. It's completely false humility. He knows that if he trusts God, then God will take control and get the glory. But think about this. If Ahaz thinks that if I can, if I can defeat the northern kingdom and the Syrians, then I get the glory. But if I, if I, if I agree that God's going to do this stuff and he proves it to me by a sign, then I don't get any glory. God gets it all. But see, he wants the glory. So he attempts to make this unbelief, this pious idea of, well, I wouldn't tempt God. I wouldn't test him. But, you know, God sees through it. He sees through all of our lies, all of our excuses. He sees right to the core. We can't fool him. So this is what God says in verse 13. He says, and he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is Isaiah speaking. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and to choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. God gives him 
the sign of his own choosing. Ahaz had an opportunity. It's gone. It's past. God's going to do something that seems impossible. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Oh, come on. That can't happen, right? The interesting thing about this is this, we, when we know this, obviously we know this prophecy because of Christmas and what we celebrate, the birth of Christ. It's, the, it's Jesus, the Messiah that God is talking about, his son that he's sending to save the world. And before Christ comes, those kingdoms are going to be gone, and they were. They were gone. But there's also a deeper meaning in this prophecy. And that deep meaning is that you know, God, is, God is speaking through the prophets at this time. God is here and the prophets are speaking for God. But what's going to happen is God's going to come down and be with them. That's, to be honest with you, that's probably was more of a more of a, an astonishment to Ahaz than probably the virgin birth. The fact that God would come, wait a minute, God's going to come down in physical form and be with us? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, we look at it and we understand it because we're looking at it backwards. We look from here back. But for them, it wouldn't make any sense. Well, if that happens, yeah, there'd be no doubt. <laughs> no doubt that these things are going to happen. But see, even though this prophecy sounds like good news to Ahaz, his unbelief must be dealt with. Verse 17, God's going to give him He's going to take care of the unbelief. He says, The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and in all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head of the hair of the feet. And it will sweep away the beard also. I understand that in Jewish tradition, the men had beards. And it was a, it was a, it was a sign of pride. It was a sign, I'm a man, I'm, 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 you know, today, you know, kids go, yeah, I'm, Growing my beard, and they've got like little, you know, little peach fuzz here and there. I'm not talking about you, Jack. You're okay. You know, you know, Caleb. Even Caleb says, "Man, I got this this hair right here." I'm like, "Dude, that's the least of your concerns right now." But God is saying that this, these nations are going to come, in and they're going to they're going to do things to you that's terrible. Terrible. They're going to shave your beard, which would have been a disgrace. When they would mourn, they would pull their hair out. Oh, I can imagine that. Pull the hair out in mourning. And that day the man will, the man, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread.
See, the crisis that Ahaz finds himself and Judah finds himself in now is going to be taken care of by an even greater king. The king of Assyria is going to come in and he's going to conquer the northern kingdom. And ultimately what's going to happen is the southern kingdom too will fall, but not to Assyria, but to the Babylonians who take over from the Assyrians as being the bad boys in the neighborhood. You see, the thing about it is, is trusting God to save us from the assault of evil, there's no downside to that. When we, have, when we have weakness in our life, God meets it with power and with wisdom. But we have to ask ourselves, have I not said a prayer? I mean, did I pray? Did I trust God? Didn't I say a prayer, you know, all those years ago when I became a believer, when I was 12 years old? Wasn't that enough? No. I mean, that was the beginning. Yes. But see, we need to trust God daily. We need to grow in Him. We need to trust Him right now. That's where it counts. Do you trust God today, this moment? In this world that's going crazy, do we trust that God does have it under control? People say the world's falling apart. I say the world's falling together. Exactly the way God wants it to. Be strong. Be courageous. Be faithful. Trust God. He knows what He's doing. If we welcome God as our ally and we yield to His timing, His control, and His glory, He'll fight for us. And there'll be no regrets. I've had a lot of regrets in my life about things I've done. I'll have no regrets for the things God has done and is doing for me. If we said... If we set our own terms, we're going to fight by ourselves. If Ahaz doesn't trust God, he is not going to stand at all. He's going to fight for himself, and he's going to be defeated. But God says, I'm going to take care of the northern kingdom. I'm going to take care of the king of Syria. The key to our lives is this moment-by-moment faith in Christ. In chapter 8, verse 1, God's going to have Isaiah do a few things here that have some meaning to it. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Meher Shalal Hashbaz. That's what he's supposed to write. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah, Zechariah, Zechariah the son of uh, Jeberachiah, to attest for me. So he's going to write this on this tablet and it's going to be attested to, basically notarized, you might say. And I went to the prophetess, that would be his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And that means the spoil spreads and the prey hastens. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river Euphrates. 
Babylon, Babylon, you know, Nineveh was on the river, but also Babylon was on the river in the south. And that's ultimately what's going to overcome the southern kingdom. But you, look what God is using. He's using the image of a river overflowing, a flood. Mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread, wing, outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Because Ahaz and the people had refused to trust God, a day of reckoning is scheduled for them. Now, we know that God delayed it. He delayed it for a while. See, Assyria, is going to ri- Assyria will rise like a flood, and poor little Judah will have to stand on their tippy toes to keep their heads above water. Ultimately, they become a vassal state of Assyria, and they have to do what Assyria tells them to do. And there's this constant conflict between Egypt and Assyria trying to overtake. But even Assyria is going to fade into history But understand that Judah will remain the land of Emmanuel, the land of God with us. And they probably don't even realize this. They don't understand that. God's with them. He's going to be with them during all of it. In the fullness of time, God's going to come in a boy named Jesus, the Savior of the world. You know, we, we... we experience the saving presence of God by looking at Christ as this stream of living water that just flows calmly. You think about that. We, God, Jesus is, is, is the water of life. And he's, it's this nice, gentle stream. But the world, what's happening in the world, it's a flood. It's overwhelming. And Jesus says, I stake my life on that supply and you will never thirst again. He tells the woman at the well, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. And she wants it. She desires it. That's what I want. Oh, give me some of that water. It's him. And he stakes his life on it. He's going to die for it. Understand that your fiercest ally is Jesus Christ. You know, I I love my kids, and I'll fight tooth and bone. I'll I'll fight to my bitter end for them. But you know what? Jesus fights even harder for them. He fights hard for you. And we can be overcomers no matter what sin or what temptation threatens us. We can always overcome. In our times of crisis, we just have to say yes to the improbable things that God says. God says, I'm going to get you through this. And you're like, I don't think I can make it. I just can't get through this. God says, yes, you can. With me, you can do this. But we have to, we have to stop trying to save ourselves. We have to stop being lukewarm. It is time as a church for us no longer to be lukewarm. We can't. The time is short. We must put our full trust in God. He saves us. He saves sinners. You don't have to make yourself perfect to be saved by God. He takes care of that for you. So what are we to be? 
were to be the same thing that God told Ahaz. We need to be humble, not fear. Don't let our heart be faint. God is with us. Emmanuel. See, God, God is the ultimate reality. In, in our world today, we're, we're playing with this idea of reality. Online, you can be somebody else. I don't, I don't know if I told you that as a story or not. I probably have. I've told you so many stories by now. I can't remember which ones I've told and which ones I haven't. But I was playing an online game with a friend of mine. And we were, we were together in a room. We were the only ones in this room playing this game. And it was, it was a, a fighting game. And this other guy comes in. And, and he, we, we weren't fighting. We were just talking. We were just in there chatting. And he says, yeah. I said, yeah, I was in here waiting for my friend Andy to come back. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know Andy in here. I've played in here with him. I said, I know Andy in the real world. You know, we, we, we're, making, we're making, trying to make the online world a reality. And it's not. It's not real. You know they have, do you know they have an online church now that's in cyberspace? Not, not a video. You actually become a person in online, a little avatar. You can look however you want, and you actually go to church. And it looks like a cathedral in there. You have VR glasses on. Yeah, that's not reality. God in the flesh is reality. And we need to make sure, we need to make Him our reality and live our lives as Christ is our reality. And what He does is He'll take our hearts that are divided, that are being pulled in all these different directions, that are fearing, that are doubtful, that are tempted to go in another direction, and He'll bring it together. And He'll mend it. Unite it again. And if we have Christ, what more do we need? I don't need anything else but Him and Him alone. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the What Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.